Alrighty, welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. This week's guest is Adam Deitch. Adam is the Grammy-nominated drummer for the bands Lettuce and Break Science. He's also played and or collaborated with so many legends such as John Schofield, 50 Cent, Average White Band, DJ Quick, Modest Yahoo, and a lot more. His power and intention behind the kit is one of the most inspiring things to watch, and it seems like he reinvents his career every few years just by choosing what project he wants to focus on in that moment, because he trusts his instincts. The through line, however, has always been his collaboration with the band Lettuce, which is a great band to say the least. Anyways, Adam has been on a few previous guests' top five, so it's always fun to have this come full circle. So please enjoy my conversation with Adam Deitch. Cheers. Adam, you grew up with drummers as parents, which we'll get to later. And you've even said that Get Up by James Brown was an alarm clock of sorts uh, throughout your childhood. And then also growing up in a community that had a, a, a big Haitian population to then going to Berkeley. I mean, your influences are all over the place. So I'm really excited to have you on the show, man. Right on. Thanks for having me, Matt. And I do want to start off by playing a few records from your career. So this is not your top five, but just to do a little... Uh, interactive, I guess, introduction, if there's anyone that might not know who you are, which would be surprising. But uh, let me just play a few records, and then you can tell me where it takes you when I play them. I'll play like 30 seconds of them. So here's the first one. Did you hear that? Yeah, that, that's our first record. I think it's out of here. Yep. Let, let us out of here. And um, I was just a you know 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid trying to figure it out. Um, that beat that I played on that song, the, the original rec- like demo of that song was on a tape recorder at a rehearsal. And I just remember how cool that beat sounded at, at the rehearsal. <laughs> and on that tape and it it like didn't like transpire to the album it's all like clean and hi-fi and the tape was all dirty and awesome but um yeah i mean that's before i even knew what go-go music was and that we're just like kind of playing random go-go bell patterns over the stuff you know but uh the swing was there not bad for a bunch of 18 year old kids are the bells overdubbed or is that just your left hand going crazy no that, that was before i had all that uh, independence thing happening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and I've, I've, I've heard that you, uh, through the pandemic, you've recently gotten into getting more involved in recording yourself and kind of going down that rabbit hole, which is a vast rabbit hole. But a lot of your records back in the day, I mean, it's not like one drum sound throughout the record. So 
since you're just it's I guess what I'm saying is it surprises me that you're just admitting that you're getting into that because it seems like I would assume that you knew a lot about all that stuff from the get go. Or is it just you were with producers that knew how to get really cool sounds and miking, you know? I mean, we've been lucky to work with engineers that were great. Like that album was Ari Raskin, and he, you know, he did four years at Berkeley, music production engineering, and was working at Chung King, you know, studios. Like he had a definite, you know, a definite. And he was our age too, but he 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 was really good at recording. And I've been blessed to, you know, work with great engineers for for the lettuce records and the Schofield records. So, you know, the idea of recording it by yourself without a real engineer that studied this, that's a whole different territory, you know? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, the safety, you know, the safety belt is off. Like, you know, an engineer knows what they're doing. Oh, let me move that mic uh, two inches and it's phasing a little bit. And, you know, that kind of thing. Like that's what I'm learning now at, you know, in, in my older years. Do you do you like recording by yourself or do you like the pressure of having people look at you that kind of makes you play better? And I ask because sometimes if I'm by myself and I like in the measure two, there's a hi hat that I don't like the one hit. I'll just stop and start over again. But if I'm like on someone else's dime, it's like, no, I need to keep going. And then that little part might become someone's favorite part of that groove that you would have otherwise stopped because you're like, yeah, I can just make it perfect if I want to. Right, right. I mean, it's two different things. I, I definitely don't like the uh, when somebody just wants you in the studio because they want to see you perform, and it becomes like a performance mm. kind of vibe, like a show. Oh, he's in the studio. Yeah, man, do more of that. Meanwhile, at home, I would like craft this part and play quieter and really like get into the the song and what's needed and what's not needed. But sometimes when you get into a session, you have a, bunch of people watching you and the engineers watching and the bands watching and you know and you kind of get into the like performance show mode you know and and i don't like to be in show mode when i'm making a record i like to be in studio mode which is totally different you know and i'm sure with you as as your name's gotten around it's like if there's someone you haven't recorded with they're like oh i want to see adam do his thing so then there's that added pressure of they know me now. I'm not just some studio guy. It's like, oh, he'll work, you know. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of like a little bit of like a impress us and show, do, the, <laughs> yeah. do that crazy lick, do the crossover lick. You know, it's like, well, it's like you want this tune to be the best it can be, or you want like, you know, a bunch of crazy licks everywhere. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, you know that. That's why I like recording at home. Just kind of business and just knock out the tune and be as musical as possible. Sure. All right, number two, and you already mentioned the man, but uh, this is John Schofield on uh, the second record, I believe you play with him, and it's called uh, the album's called Up All Night, and the song is I'm Listening, and there's a specific thing that you do on this that I think is so, so cool, and, and maybe you got it from a certain drummer that I'll mention in a second, but here we go. It's it's that that delay, that manual delay on the cross stick is is so cool. And that was is that a Stuart Copeland thing that you got or I mean that might be such a derivative thing that I'm thinking of, but where where did that spark come from? Because that's a huge part of that beat, and it's awesome. 
First of all, I have I totally forgot about that tune. I have I got I gotta revisit that. Um It's a great one, man. I, I, I gotta listen listen to that um soon. But um yeah, that the triplet thing comes from this great drummer named Deontony Parks. Mm. And he's uh, from Atlanta, you know, and just an absolute genius on the drums who came to Berkeley in 94, having studied like Ronnie size and square pusher and like all, all like the drum and bass stuff for like two years before he got to school at 18. Yeah. Or maybe longer. Maybe, I feel like he had stopped playing like normal drum language, like human drum language, you know, um, by the <laughs> yeah. time he was like 16 years old. And so by the time he was 18, he came to school, like this drum machine human, you know, and he was doing all kinds of echoes and, you know, fading out his roughs, you know, and, and everything he could play, he could turn the volume up and down on, you know, and that takes an amazing amount of control and, and, and like finesse and, and musicality to do that. And we were friends and we just hang out. And like, I was like, bro, you're, you're light years ahead of everybody, you know, like no one's doing this. No, no one's taking DJ culture or like even like hip hop culture and bringing it to the, the acoustic kit like like that, you know. Of course, there was Questlove and, you know, those kind of guys, but they weren't like turning knobs in their mind to, to get sounds out of the drums like, like that, you know. Yeah. So we used to shed together and hang and I used to go to all his gigs. So I didn't miss anything. Whatever he was playing, I was at. And, and I was like, man, I really love that style of, that you're doing. And it really appeals to me, you know, because I was always into hip hop and drum and bass, but I I never made the connection of how to play that stuff on a, you know, on a kit. You know, yeah. you know, even Jojo at that time was like, he wasn't playing drum and bass. He was playing like fusion and funk with Michelle, you know, and, and there really just wasn't, human beings playing like machines at that point you know so i, I gotta give it all to Anthony for that Let's see if i can word this correctly it seems like throughout your life you've never really had the imposter syndrome that would stop you from going up to these amazing drummers and becoming friends with them because it seems like that's a big part of your life it's like oh we hung out and then i just you know just uh, incorporated their friendship and what they do into my playing and vice versa. And then you just learned a lot by becoming friends directly with these people. Um, has it, has imposter syndrome never, this is more of a question just for me, never been an issue for you. I'm not even sure what um, imposter sy syndrome means. Um, like it just, you, you feel like they're going to find me out someday that I'm not as good as what people say or that, you know, that people don't really know exactly it's it's hard to describe. Just people feeling like I don't want to talk to him. He doesn't want to talk to me. You know, I'm just I'm just Adam Deitch. You know, like when when everyone else would be like, dude, you're Adam Deitch. Go talk to him. Obviously, you guys would be peers. But some people, even like like a Paul McCartney, would be like, I don't know why that songwriter would want to talk to me. To some people, it never goes away and stops you from making these peer to peer friendships. Yeah, I, because my parents are drummers and musicians. Like when I see a drummer, I like I. I imagine in my mind that we're best friends already, and, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I'm just like, we're going to be like, we have so much in common because I'm like, I'm playing drums. I'm two years old. My parents, my uncles, my best friends are all drummers, you know, like, 
Yeah. So, when, you know, when I meet a drummer, unless they're they're really standoffish, which has happened, but very rarely, you know, we're going to be best friends. You know, like <laughs> I go into it like that, you know, you know, I'm not here to steal your licks. I'm not here to steal your gigs or your endorsements. I'm here to just say what up, tell you I appreciate you and, and we'll take it from there. You know, that's awesome. Man. That's great advice. Uh, all right, so number three, and then we'll get into a few questions, and then your your top five. So this is a collaborative project, I guess. It would be Break Science, and uh, this song is called Take It to the Floor from the album Seven Bridges. So here we go. style is really dated to me right now i mean we made that years years ago and we were trying to figure out this like electro r&b meets dubstep thing you know like we we were just trying to figure it out you know and but i definitely know that kick drum pattern is hard to play live <laughs> <laughs> is that an mpc or is that programmed what is that yeah like you know i probably programmed that kick you know, or I might have like played it with my kick and overlaid it. We did a lot of overlaying, like, okay, you know, the main the acoustic kick is down. Now let's shoot some steroids into it with sounds and make it bigger and that kind of stuff. Borum is a my partner in Break Science. He's a genius with production, and yeah. he's kind of like he facilitates because I'm really bad at technology and like. I can't use Ableton or Logic, I, a little bit of Pro Tools, you know, like, and uh, he kind of facilitates my ideas because he's really good at Ableton and like great musician. So, yeah, he kind of helps me, you know, get into the production thing and taught me a lot about mix downs and, and all those things that, that go down with, with electronic production. So, yeah, I just love I love messing with that kind of stuff for sure. You saying you don't really mess with the Dawes that much is that is that because it's just that's not the inspiring part for you or just that's kind of a rabbit hole you're like that's going to take up 10 years of my life if i decide to get good at that or what's the what's the reason you say you don't really do that much stuff with it i'm just not really i've never been a tech guy i'm always like the last dude to have the the, the new phone i had a flip phone and everyone's laughing at me you know <laughs> yeah I was the last person on Instagram. Everyone's like, you got to get on Instagram. I was like, I'm good with Facebook and Twitter. I'm good. It's already enough. They're like, yeah, yeah, definitely you is. You got to get on IG. And I, I finally got an IG, you know, like, I'm just like, yeah, I, I just, that's how I've always been. I'm a, I'm a drummer. I feel most comfortable with wood and just, you know, just the kit, you know, like. Dude, yeah. But I, I'm slowly learning and getting my computer stuff together. You know, whatever. Nobody's perfect. You know what I'm saying? No, I get it. I mean, there's a lot of people that are the other side of that coin. It's like, oh, it's a new thing. It's a new thing that I saw on it, YouTube, or it's a new plugin, and they just spend so much time doing that. When it's like, no, you should actually just spend time doing the drumming instead of like this distraction thing of like the well, newest. So, you know, but do what makes you happy. You take a guy like Zach Danziger, who's like a killer drummer. He'll cut, you know, just rock anybody to shreds, and then he's like a tech genius with his like 
Appleton Chops and all the stuff he's doing, you know. So it's like, I wish I was like that. I wish I had, you know, programming skills and, you know, but like, you know, I do what I can. You, you know, I'll, I'll figure out a way to get it done, you know, even if it's not the way to do it. <laughs> um, all right. So we did have two questions from uh, some listeners and Logan Lake Drums uh, on Instagram at Logan Lake Drums. And this kind of, I, I brought this in because you have a really cool swing to your playing. I mean, it, just that that first Lettuce song is is a great example of that. And he wants to know, I would like to hear Adam's take on being metronomically accurate while still having the groove and ma- making it feel good. Because he says, you are anything but robotic. So is there a fine line between technicality versus feel? What's your view on that? All right, that's a great question. Um, every style of music from like brand new trap hip hop to like 1930s swing to you know afro-cuban music from the mid 1970s to you know to dub reggae to dance hall reggae like you know rock and roll from england versus rock and roll by little richard every style of music has a specific feel and a specific thing and you know as far as being metronomic that it's like when I'm trying to play like a trap hip hop beat, you know, to like, you know, some young artist or something like, yeah, I'm trying to be metronomic and, and lock with, with that track and the 808s and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in New Orleans playing some second line, playing some meter stuff with, with, with Ivan Neville, like I'm going to be true. I'm going to try to be true in my mind to the grease and the looseness of that of that music, you know. So it's you know people try to put a blanket like you know how do you know when to be on the click or when to be off the click it's like depends on the kind of style you're playing and how well you are researched in the drummers that played that style you know because you can you say jazz fusion like you know you, you you know you go to like dennis and schofield like dennis was pretty metronomic during that era with schofield mm-hmm. then you go back to billy cobham and schofield with george duke band and that was not metronomic at all. You know, you got, you know, Jack DeJanet, who's like anti-metronomic, but he's like a genius. And, you know, Elvin and their feel is like just this human being thing, you know. But then you got like Eric Moore and like, you know, dudes like that, that could nail 30 second notes to a click and groove to a click. Like as if and you look at the grid and you're like, oh, my God, it's like a drum machine, you know, like, yeah. So it just it just depends on the style you're playing and how you know how in the grid that music is and how true you are to that style. And I think I've talked about this with with Ash Sohn and Brody Simpson, and they emphasize shout out to Ash and Brody. Absolutely, and they emphasize dynamics, not over uh, timing, but in a way. I actually think I posed the question like greater than, less than, timing versus dynamics. And Brody has a good quote where he's like, it's it's really dynamics because you can play perfectly in time or take a drummer's part, grit it up, but if he's not playing dynamically to himself, it still sounds off. And so I think a lot of people focus too much on the metronome as opposed to, are you actually consistent with your dynamics and intentional that way yeah intentional like when you're playing like trap you know hip-hop shit again you know like dynamics are not a part of that music like you know the hi-hats you know like that kind of stuff yeah and if you're playing you know playing your little shuffle hi-hats 
that's wrong, you know? Yeah. And so it really just depends. Again, goes back to the style. You know, if dynamics are happening in that style of music, yes. If they're not, you're, you're kind of like veering away from the spirit of the music. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned Schofield again. I did want to mention uh, Annika Niles was on the show maybe a, a three weeks ago. Superstar, incredible, one of the at, greats. Well, she would say the same about you. I, I forget the specific song, but it was off Uber Jam 2. And one of your songs from that was her top five. Um, oh, well, and so she is a that's, huge that's fan of your playing. If she hasn't said that directly, uh, she had nothing but the greatest things to say about you and that whole record. So I literally watched her Instagram videos for like, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes yesterday. Just like she could do so many things that are almost impossible to me. Like, uh, yeah, I'm just like every time I watch her play, it's like downloading information and learning new stuff. I'm such a fan. Yeah, she's great. All right. So let's just jump into your your top five. And so I did mention it at the beginning of the podcast, but your number one, number two, I'm not sure if you actually have those in order, but you just said the first one was your mom. So your mom, Denise Deitch. Uh, yeah, just kind of explain why she's one of your top five. <laughs> I mean, you know, she was gigging while she was pregnant with me. Um, she's got this amazing groove. She had me on the kit early. Um, and, and she was the drummer in my parents' band. My, my dad switched over to keyboards so they could work together as a duo. Mm. And so he just like, you know, he has a great ear, and, but he plays like songwriters piano, like left hand bass and right hand chords. And he sings, you know, God. So I grew up watching my mom gig from two, you know, two years old, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, all the way up to like 16. My dad was, would play, you know, local gigs around town here and there and in the basement a lot you know and like battle me in the basement you know we would always go you know trying to out lick you know throw all kinds of licks at each other and grooves at each other there's some youtube but, videos of more recent years of you guys doing that if everyone wants to check that out yeah yeah we, we you know we uh he, you know he's been kicking my butt forever but mom <laughs> is, is is the person i saw on the gig every you know she was on the gig every night mm-hmm you know, so every time I went to see them play, it was like mom on the kit, you know, and and she just has a great groove. She's super professional. She hits the hits and she knows where the tempo is and where the feel is and what the right fill to do. That boom, 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 boom. Like just those kind of fills, like, you know, like human good feeling fills and not thinking about triplets or 30 second notes or any of that stuff. It's like. You know, so she's number my number one. That's why she's my number one. And she always helped me out. And she was always encouraging, very encouraging. What was what was her backstory as a drummer? I mean, what was her what's her career before having you? Yeah, her her great uncle played a little drums in the family, but she got scouted out by her seventh grade band teacher and was like, "You got the rhythm. You should play drums or something like that." And she was like, okay, great. You know, she was playing snare drum in, in like an orchestral band. They were like, you should play the kit. She got on the kit and she just like was a natural. She just had it. And she like worked like three jobs to, to buy her own drums because her parents wouldn't buy her drums, you know? And yeah. And then she studied with a couple people. And then by the time she got to Berkeley, she was like grooving, totally killing, you know? Oh, she went to Berkeley as well. Yeah, that's where my parents met at Berkeley. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Do you still have that Gretsch set that they kind of sawed into a smaller kid's set for you? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's in my in the closet in my dad's basement. Oh man, well maybe maybe I could ask you to have him send a picture of that or something for the Instagram just to because I've I've, <laughs> I've heard you talk about it and I want to see it. I want to see what you know. I'm I'm visioning it, yeah, but it, it was a mess. It had no bottom heads. It had no bottom looks. Like everything had fallen off. Sure. So it just it's like. Doo, doo. It had no resonance at all. Hey, that's and, a vibe, dude. That's kind of what I like most these days. Yeah. My parents aren't big uh, gearheads, you know, so you can't talk ply depth and, and lug kind of lugs and all that kind of like they're like they, they never even change drum heads. Like, you know, I, I go home and I change their heads for them, you know. Yeah. So, you know, that kid probably had heads from like 1981 on him, you know, when I went to Berkeley. Yeah. You know, and they had a sound, but everyone was making fun of me. It was hilarious. <laughs> uh, do you remember one? Like, what's what's the biggest lesson that she taught you? And I, I know you just described her playing, but is there anything she told you about her style that just sits with you? That she's just always on the back of your shoulder, just reminding you when you when you're in a session. Make it feel good, you know. And she reminds me of people like. You know, Grady Tate, Steve Gadd, um, Harvey Mason, mm. you know, the guys that make records feel good. And just he's like, be one of those guys, you know, like Fred White from Earthman and Fire, like sure. chops don't impress her. I mean, you know, like she likes a good chop like like it's a like a backflip or something. You know, it's like fun to watch, you know, yep. but she appreciates this, the simple drummers, the, you know, the, the grooving kind of r&b styled simple grooves you know yep um everyone knows they're probably rolling their eyes at me when i say this but i always re retort with that i agree it's all about choices for me uh mm -hmm. licks are great but choices are what you know make the hair on the back of my neck stand up so yeah, taste, taste factor you know but if you're playing expansive fusion by all means go crazy you know sure. <laughs> going, going back to, talk, to context like you were talking about the metronome and stuff it's all context absolutely all right, everyone, I wanted to share some exciting news that the latest season of the podcast Food on Tour has just begun. Touring drummer and good buddy of mine, Mike Robinson, who plays with Oliver Tree. He's covered a few gigs for me with Cannons. He's also played with K-Flay, Delwater Gap, Blame My Youth, and many more. He dives into mouthwatering conversations with professional musicians and artists to uncover their most cherished bars and restaurants to frequent on tour, from hidden gems to five-star meals at iconic establishments around the world. Fans of food, music, and travel can look forward to new episodes every Monday. So download Food on Tour wherever you listen to your podcasts and give Mike a, a, a sup for me. What a horrible way to end this. Cheers. Hey y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And 
If you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with the drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye so number two, uh, Mr. Bobby Deitch, your dad. Yeah. You know, he just, uh, he's a complete musician. You know, they both are complete. They both play piano and sing. And my dad plays bass and guitar. And he's like a producer, does all this stuff. So just having, you know, and he's only 21 years older than me. So it's like an older brother vibe, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, my, both my parents are only 20, you know, 22, 23 years older than me. So just having a, you know a great human being in my life like that willing to answer every question about drumming and always imparting knowledge and always making drumming seem fun. You know, like this fun thing to be a part of. It's never like this stressful, you know, if you don't practice, you won't be Vinnie Caliuta. You're going to be a waste out, you know, like, yeah, it was, it was, that never happened in my house. You know, it was like, listen to this record. Oh, listen to Elvin. Oh my God. Harvey's loud. You know, like he was always excited about, you know, these records and like, especially this band Cold Blood, which nobody knows. Um, oh, I don't um, know that either. Yeah, they're like a super funky band from the 70s. They used to open for Tower Power. And, you know, they're like a, a, you know, in the East Bay, like San Francisco, Oakland area band, you know, Cold Blood. Yeah. And they had two drummers. One was Sandy McGee and, and one was Gaylord Birch. And uh, my dad was obsessed with this band. So my, my mom, but uh, my dad was e extra obsessed with them. And he would just be like, listen to this, man, check this out. You know, and to this day, th th those drummers are kind of like my secret weapon because nobody knows those records, really. So <laughs> I'll delete this whole thing out. I will I will beep out their names. <laughs> no, please, please, please tell. Please tell. I love if people would check that out. You know, sure. They, they both have unique styles. And my dad kind of is an amalgamation of like both Sandy and Gaylord Birch and he kind of has a lot of both and some Garibaldi and you know my dad's kind of like from the same school as Mike Clark where he grew up playing swing got into like you know funky stuff you know dug the fusion movement you know never really fit into a specific category you know mm -hmm. just like from that like you know 1973 74 expansive mindset kind of vibe you know sure and speaking of your parents, and I, I, I know they're they're both drummers, and you kind of stopped playing drums in your mid-teens. Was that kind of in the teen rebellion? Like, I want nothing to do with drums because I'm just surrounded by it all the time. And so that's why you skateboarded? Yeah, I just want to get out of the house, man. You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, the idea of doing three, four hours a day or every other day was, like, kind of getting boring. And... um you know, you're 14 and you're, you know, 13, 14 and there's girls and there's 
life to live and you gotta get up the crib and go go experience you know and i'm glad i did because it gave me an identity besides just the son of two drummers that plays all day you know yeah (laughs) and and during that time in your early teens i know you got you got hurt you broke your your leg and so you couldn't play for a while and that forced you yeah and so that kind of forced you to reinvent or not reinvent but reinvent at least for you the way you approach your 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 bass drum technique um can you talk a little bit about that and why that has probably become a a uh a little superpower for you i mean it's superpower and a weakness i can't do like with heel up and just with the ball on my foot like most drummers have no problem going like one e end of two e end of three e end of four e with with the, with the ball of their foot. It's not a problem, you mm-hmm. know. For me, that's like a big struggle. I guess I, you know, I never got that together. But what I can do is do this heel toe thing, but but up but up but up. But I, I could shuffle it really easily, you know. So that's really easy for me, like because it's heel toe, but going. When it's straight sixteenths, that's like damn near impossible for me, you know. So it's an you know it's an Achilles heel, and you know it's it's good and bad. It kind of forces me to you know kind of practice that. I'm, I'm I keep practicing. I saw Annika doing like these singles between her right, you know, floor tom and the and the foot and the right foot, just effortlessly. And I'm just like, you know, Mike Clark can do that, like, super easy. And Vinny obviously made that famous, you know. It's like it's like nothing. It's like breathing for him, you know. So I, I just keep practicing, man. I'm like, I'm going to do it one day. I'm going to try to pull it out at my gig this weekend. We'll see it. We'll see if I fall flat on my face or, or not. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, kind of as a joke, do you wish you could break your arm so that you could then be forced to reevaluate your right hand, too, and have it be even more <laughs> atomy? But that's obviously not the case. Yeah, well, I, I slipped my finger. I was cutting the lime to put in a drink before a gig once, and I slipped my middle finger like all the way down, like really hardcore. And uh. and I I could I could I had to hold a stick like you know with like like a chopstick or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. And my middle finger was out, all wrapped up, and was bleeding everywhere. <laughs> and I had to play like super light that night. Like I could barely hit the snare drum, you know. And uh, the guys told me that was the best I ever sounded. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah because i didn't overpower them i didn't like i wasn't at full strength so my dynamic level just went about to here as opposed to where it's usually here Mm -hmm. and they were like can you just play like that from now on so you know you know sometimes an injury can teach you something about you know a weak limb or something you know that you, you need to work on well just force you to play different i mean whenever i am not good at traditional grip but whenever i play traditional I th- I'm a totally different drummer, and it's cool exactly. for certain situations, exactly. you know. Um, all right, so number three, and you've already mentioned this band, but it is Fred White from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, I mean, you saw what I wrote about him. It's just like at least 8,000 hours playing along to, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire records. I was obsessed. I liked the feeling of it. It gave me, it gave me a rush. There was no, no one to play with that was anything close to that feeling. You know, it, growing up, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, you know, like, the only place I could get that feeling was those records, you know. And to this day, if I'm in a bad mood or if I'm just feeling sluggish, like, 
if I put on the right earth and fire tune, I'm back. It's electricity. It's life, you know. And Fred you know, is a reason why those records sold millions and he puts the right thing on it. You know, it's like what Ringo is to the Beatles, you know, Fred is to Earth Wind, like the guy that made it happen. But, you know, Ringo gets all these props. He's so great. He's so simple. And he made this. But it's like, you know, Earth and Fire sold a lot of records and no one be talking about Fred, you know, like, I mean, the people that know, know, you know, but like, he's just an absolute genius with all the stuff he did. And and then you've got the Donny Hathaway record. He played on the live Donny Hathaway record, which is a super classic that every drummer should listen to. But he gets overlooked for because he doesn't play Tom Toms, you know, mm. barely. I think he played like a Tom once. Yeah, always feels like, but that, yeah, but that, you know, on the snare, you know, but he's uh, he's one of my faves. Is there a, a, a particular record or song you want me to play? Because uh, I was going to choose one because I sometimes do that. And I was like, Ben, what are you doing? I'm not as well rehearsed with Earth, Wind and Fire as I think obviously you are. So I'd be like, oh, let's play September, you know, but uh, yeah, ob- ob- obviously like, leave, not. Leave but... September alone. Leave <laughs> yeah, Wonderland alone. And like, okay, <laughs> you know, but let's let's go to the dope, the super dope Earth, Wind and Fire. And let's go to Jupiter. Jupiter. You know, like song Jupiter. But really, there's a video that I saw when I was five of, of Earth, Wind & Fire. That's absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's like live in Oakland or something. Okay. And it's from 1981. And you know, it was a multi-camera shoot. And there's parts where they like fight like the forces of evil with lasers and shit. Like, it, it's really just the most incredible video. As a five-year-old, I was like, this is like, star wars and music in, in one you know i'll drop that in in the show notes i'll, I'll put that yeah. youtube video if it's i'm sure it's on there so yeah, um, it's, it's, it's definitely the one that that like gave me the chills and taught me to like you know taught me so much about music and, and life but uh yeah the song jupiter is like a really good example of how great freddie freddie is and and you know he does those pushes one in the two in the three in the four in oh yeah you know and those little like anticipations before the one and it just i love the way he plays it and it's just he's a genius yeah I love that too because a younger drummer would put at least a few crash cymbals in there and he just does yeah. it. He just keeps no it restrained. Crashes, man. No crashes, you know, like hi hat tight. I would play along with that and just my hair would stand up the back of my neck. Like it would just be so fun to play along with that era of Earth Wind, you know. I, 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 to this day, just hearing it makes me happy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how you can go into a drumming session in a bad mood and and listen to that and still find a way to not smile. That's in, in, it's exactly. impossible. I mean, if, you know, if everyone listened to, to that era, Earth, Wind & Fire in the morning before they went to their jobs and like the world would change, like life would be different on Earth, you know, like 
If I was president, mandatory. <laughs> that's your mandate. All right. Well, that's my mandate. All right. Uh, in a second here, Adam's mic starts to get a little muffled. And I just want you to know that I know, but he says some really good stuff. I didn't want to cut it out. So stick with us. It's only for a few seconds. Cheers. So number four, when you sent this to me, I was trying to figure out another drummer, I believe, has talked about Frank, but it's Frank Marino, um, <laughs> a, a teacher. And I was trying to figure out who it was, but that would take me so long. So I apologize. But uh, yeah, he's been talked about before. So can you describe a, a, a lesson with him, like an hour lesson? How did he go about it? What was unique about Frank? <laughs> what could I say on camera? Um, no, <laughs> okay, yeah, just, yeah, okay. <laughs> he was just really eccentric. It might be like, hey, today we're going to tackle like playing five note groupings in septuplets. Okay. You know, like, and I'd be like, what? Like, how do you even use that? Like, or we're going to take quintuplets, but we're going to play seven note groupings on the drums, you know, or like something completely out, you know, and, and he had like all these like written out funky grooves that were Garibaldi-esque that he kind of came up with. And they were like, you know, linear kind of grooves that I had, I had no idea what was going on. And, you know, he was the guy that got Dave Garibaldi to do a, you know, private lessons at the Long Island Drum Center. So, like, he knew a lot of people. He knew a lot of stuff. And it, it could be anything from, you know, watching a, like, a really crazy video that Chad Smith gave him because, you know, he was friends with Chad Smith. and Yeah. You know, or, or something. It could be anything. Like, so it was really fun to study with him. And he was, like, open to, like, what I wanted to learn and what, what I was into. And he was just a very interesting guy. And, I, I, you know, he opened my mind a lot. And, and open up my hands and help me figure out some of that drumming vocabulary stuff that, that I'm still working on. Yeah, it's always tough. You know, people say, oh, I'm in, I'm in high school. I'm learning, you know, trigonometry and I'm never going to use this in the, in the real world. But there always is a way that that will come up, even just opening your brain to that concept that will make the other thing that's slightly related to that make more sense. Um, cause yeah, I, I sometimes get on my high horse and I'm like, you don't need to practice that shit, you know? And then it's like, but you do sometimes. And I'm, I, I'm wrong all the time. And this is another example of obviously that is beneficial to your playing. And obviously everyone loves your playing. So there's a reason for everything. Yeah. Even if the practical application isn't, isn't right there in front of you. Yeah. 10 years down the road, something else you know, you'll be like, oh, that I know because I learned this unpractical thing years ago. Now I understand this practical thing that that works in, in the music, you know. Yeah. So you never know, you know, years later, something might click. You'd be like, oh, I'm glad I learned what a, a septuplet was, you know. <laughs> but going down that line, do you think because that's around the same timeline? I'm trying to piece things together with you. Is that one of the reasons why you walked away and played? uh skateboard too because you're like dude he's talking about all these numbers i just want to go learn an ollie yeah well i really wanted to like yeah that and you know i wanted to play hip-hop you know 14 years old 1991 you know yeah 1990 like hip-hop was you know just really getting great in new york and like i just wanted to be a part of that that culture and, and get involved with that and make beats and, and kind of simplify everything, you know? So 
the existential drumming, but I'm glad I learned it. I'm glad I learned, you know, what clave was, what wawanko is, you know, where the, where the Tom's melodies go within the clave and all that stuff. But I didn't have a chance. I didn't have any bands to play it with or, and, and the music of my generation that had just literally like a giant tsunami was, you know, early hip hop. So that's why I kind of veered away a little bit. Well, and I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of implying that it was like a departure from drums, but I'm sure those few years of you skating with your friends, listening to VHS tapes and all those compilation songs that are on that, the songs you were hearing while you were skateboarding is probably just as much of an influence as Frank Absolutely. Marino was on your playing. So Absolutely. it's all a win. Now, did you, did you, were you a skater as, as well? Kind of. I longboard. I snowboarded. I mean, I was up on nice. the mountain every, every, uh, every uh, weekend, but I didn't really skateboard. Right on, right on. It, it, but that's a that's a whole other culture. Like you get into snowboard culture, you know, it's yep. like, you know, you're 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 in it, and it's a lot. You know, it's it's a beautiful thing. But you know, skateboarding was for me. It was like, yeah, you, you know, the the punk rock attitude of it. You know that from like the the classic old school skate rock, like Tony Alva stuff. So like that they would they forced us to listen to, and because it was in all the videos, and then when. You know, when our generation started coming out with videos, it was a lot of like underground hip hop stuff, and exactly that influenced us. So, yeah, it was, it was it was big for me. Sweet, uh, yeah. So number five is uh, Lil John Roberts. Yeah, you know, I, I saw him at, at when I was sixteen. I went to Berkeley for a summer program, and he was uh, there was a sign on the on in the hallway that said "Jam Session This Way" with the arrow, <laughs> and uh, I, I just walked towards this little room. You know berkeley you know like a little berkeley practice room thing and there was little john playing with chris laughlin who's a great bass player they're both they're both teachers at berkeley now and after mm-hmm. their like storied huge careers i've heard about laughlin yeah for sure yeah laughlin's like the dude the, you know not only is he the greatest bass player but he's the most um encouraging human being i've ever been around as far as like you'll be fine man like you know just keep playing the groove and you'll be fine. So like That's awesome. I met those guys that day and, and they were like my older brothers at that point and they, they just took me in. I think I, I had the balls to like play on little John's kit for five seconds that day. <laughs> and and uh, John Blackwell was there that day. I met him that day. Oh shit. Okay. Um, you know, rest in peace, John Blackwell, my Absolutely. boy. Like, you know, he also took me under his wing and, you know, an amazing human being. Mm-hmm. And Jesus from uh, Eric Coombs from Lettuce was in that room. That's how I met him. Oh, okay, okay. And that's kind of how the band Lettuce started. Like I was like, okay, you want to do something like that, like what we just saw? Okay, let's go. You know. So yeah, Little John from the time out, and then when I went back to Berkeley, I think he was there for like a year before he went on tour with like um, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, and then he did like you know some like fusion jazz with Eric Essex and then he went out with Janet Jackson. So uh, just the way he plays, it's just like the, the consummate professional, the, the, you know, just funk with, with, with such a professional vibe and everything's musical and it was never overly chopsy or anything. Tons of spirit, tons of feel. And, you know, he's from Philly, he grew up in Philly with Questlove and everybody. And right. he had that kind of like simplicity concept and hip hop concept. But when it was time for him to like express, it was like this dude's hands are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to be like him. I just, you know, and now, you know, we talk once a week, and you know, and 
he's just become a great friend. That's awesome, man. I actually wanted to play. I, I was trying to find a good clip of his simplicity and his his um, how deliberate of a of a hitter he is, especially on that backbeat. It is consistent when he wants it to be. And so there's a minor symbols jam that has a really good audio quality. So I wanted to play it here, just again mm-hmm. a first you know thirty forty seconds. But you can just hear again the consummate professional, but also feel. So yeah. uh, here he is, John Roberts. Yeah. That backbeat is so deep. The ghost notes. I don't know how any singer would not want that behind them. My God. Yeah, I mean, or a soloist, or or a bass player, or sure. or, or a person in the audience. You know, mm. like, and, and that, you know, that's a very polished recording. It's very polished. when you hear him in a room and you're four feet away from a kit, it's it, it really has a profound effect on, on you. That's great. Maybe I'll 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 drop in some more raw stuff as well. Uh, just for audio quality, I want to make sure it was good. But uh, oh, definitely, yeah, no, that's a good example of just his professionalism and you know his tone for that like kind of contemporary jazz sort of stuff. You know, yeah, he had just enough flair in there, but he wasn't trying to get in the way. Um, never, and, never gets in the way. Yeah. And I did want to. You said two honorable mentions, and so I did want to make sure that they were mentioned. Uh, so yeah, Mark Simmons, which is again, well, it'll just be the big fat seven today. Who cares? So yeah, Mark Simmons, number six. Yeah, Mark. You know. Uh, he's from Houston. He's representing the the Houston, you know, Dow, Houston and Dow, the Texas guys that are like Chris Dave and Eric Harlan, and and they look up to Mark. You know, Eric Harlan and Chris Dave are like household names, but you ask them like, who really got helped you get your shit together, and they'll tell you Mark. You know, like, and Mark's just not into shining. He's not into like self promotion. I mean, he's just he just you know, got married, had a, had four or five kids and got, got the Al Jarreau gig and it was comfy for him. And he just did that for five, six, seven, you know, 10, maybe longer, like 15 years or something, you know? And, uh, you know, he just never, you know, was on Instagram with the videos and check my solo out. Like, you know, so a lot of people kind of missed his, his thing, but, Man, if you delve into his, it's like he could swing, he could funk, he could solo, he could play simple, he could groove you out of the house, you know, like 40 minutes of, of, a, of a groove, and then blow your mind, and very inventive stuff, like, you think of Chops, you think of, like, you know, you know, Eric Moore, or, or, or you know, gospel stuff, and Mark was different, he had very, like, what was that? That was weird, like, was that a splash on the snare drum? Like, you know, like, and does that sound like a hand clap? Like, you know, like, he was just inventive. And, 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 you know, you ask Eric, you know, Harlan or, or any of, of the guys from Texas about Mark, they're like, yes, like the OG. Like, even, you know, DJ from Krungbin, like, 
Oh, wow. You know, okay. loves Mark Simmons, you know, like we bonded over, over Mark, you know, like he's like, I used to carry Mark symbols around, you know, on his gig. So yeah, Mark is just unbelievable. And now his son is about 19 Mark jr. And he's got, got, got it all. He's got like, you know, his own thing, but he's got that thing that Mark has, you know, that undeniable groove with, very sound hands and musicality and so he's he's uh you know he's going to be going to berkeley soon and i'm yeah i'm really happy for him that's great hey yeah and there's nothing wrong with making a family having a nice gig and then just enjoying your life that's yeah no no fault in that um there is passing a on, passing on the love of drumming and music to, to your kids is beautiful you know absolutely yeah, there's a there's a YouTube video. I won't play it for the sake of time, but it's uh, I think it's Mark. It's like a backyard. He's like in front of a garage and he's playing with a few people and he has like a DW gig bag for a bass drum pedal on his bass drum with like a tambourine on it. But he uses it as a tom and it's it's really cool. Kind of what you were saying. It's like it's inventive. And I think he has a snare drum that's a shallow snare drum, but it's it's the snares are off and he just it's a really cool groove. It'll be in the show notes uh, and he, he's just smiling the whole time. Yeah, yeah, let me hear it. Uh, let me hear it. What is this? Okay, I will I will play it then. It's called Front Yard Concerts. Here we go. Ooh. Yeah, dude. Just him. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I know, wow. right? I don't know this video. I'll send it to you. I'll email it to you. It's literally, he's playing on grass. It's like such a backyard thing. So yeah, oh. it goes on for a little bit longer, but it's a really cool. About touch and, and just, you know, you could, you could play an entire solo on a snare drum with the rim click and, and, and the snares off and yeah. destroy and just make music with it and own the room. And he's captivating like his, 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 the way he speaks on the instrument. It's captivating, you know. I just can't explain it. But you could hear in that clip, like this, he is absolute master of, of the drums. Uh, the last one, number seven, is is Charles Haynes, and I was watching a few videos of him being interviewed, and of course, he mentions Mark in in a few of his as how much he loves Mark. So, yeah, they they were competing at one point, you know, friendly competition. <laughs> sure. But, you know, I think Charles is a few years younger and he's representing St. Louis and the mm. beautiful tradition of St. Louis drummers and music and, you know, and Mark is representing Texas. So they had a little bit of tension, but we all played at this club called Wally's and, and Mark was Wednesdays every Wednesday with his band. Charles was every Tuesday with his band and I was every Sunday with, with like the Lettuce Guys. Mm -hmm. And then there was a lot of switching over the bands with, you know, the, the musicians would change, but it was like drummer's night you know the drummer's gig you know and uh i was there every tuesday and wednesday for like five you know three four years that they were there mm 
mm-hmm. and uh, talk about getting schooled and but 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 by awesome people and people that were da- down to hang after. But I was just getting beat up weekly, you know, to the point where I, I was like, "What am I doing?" You know, but you have a choice when you when you get when you realize that someone is ahead of you. You either like quit or you try to get better and you learn some stuff and you so you know those both those guys you know charles just yeah like he's just an absolute beast you know can play straight ahead jazz can play latin can play fusion can play gut bucket funk you know whatever both his parents play drums which is really rare and uh, we bonded on that Mm, yeah when he plays the, the kick drum, he, when he plays four on the floor, he taught me how to play four on the floor. Okay. You know, kick drum on every quarter note and and to make that feel right. And when your snare hits on two and four, it's flush with the kick drum. You mm-hmm. know, like that was a major lesson. I didn't grow up knowing anything, anything about P-Funk or, or what four on the floor meant. Um, you know, a lot of the lettuce tunes wouldn't have been written if he hadn't taught me the importance of four on the floor and what that means to, you know, gospel music and R&B in general. It's extreme confidence. He has like extreme confidence in his fo- in his playing. And you can feel it when he's playing four on the floor. And then he'll he'll pull the rug up and, and drop out three or four beats and come back in on two or come back in on four. But he makes you feel the rhythm in the air. Like after he'll stop. You'll still hear the beat, and he'll come back in, and you know, like, just a magician with with with, with the with the rhythm, you know. Well, Adam, that uh, that is your your picks, man. I'm gonna do the generic podcast thing. Do you have anything you want to promote that you want to talk about or that's coming up? Um, new lettuce lettuce album in fe- in fe- February. Uh, come check us out on tour. You know, uh, COVID willing, we'll be out from Halloween to the end of November. Break Science, uh, new album coming out probably around March, April, and uh, a bunch of other projects. Just just tune into the IG and and I'll, I'll be posting all, all the stuff. And and you know, thanks for thanks for uh, for doing this, man. But I want to give props to you guys for being you know forward thinkers with with sounds and you know things you could put on your snare drum that have jingles and stuff. Like you guys were so ahead of that. And, and understanding like you know you how you could change uh, a snare drum tone in one second with, with one of these things and all of a sudden you're gad you know you got the gad sound and a second ago you had a Clyde Stubblefield and you didn't have to detune your favorite snare to get the sound you know it's just like you guys are genius for that and all the props wow well thanks man that means the world coming from you so uh yeah I'll talk to you soon man all right man appreciate it thank you peace dude peace and that's the show be sure to subscribe and if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews do that it helps more people find the show which means the show will get better and bigger and hopefully i'll have a chance to sell out one day but you'd be an og listener that could brag to all your friends um, anyways also why don't you go ahead and check out bigfatsnaredrum.com and follow us on instagram facebook twitter and all the socials just search for at bigfatsnaredrum and you will find it This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at isotope.com. Bye.